Take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Samuel in chapter number 9. 1 Samuel in chapter number 9. When a nation needs revival, they better get back to the Word of God, right? 1 Samuel in chapter number 9. We've been studying here in this stretch of 1 Samuel, predominantly about uh, the king, the first king of Israel, King Saul. And so we're going to read a little bit more about that tonight. We'll begin in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 17. Then we're going to keep reading right into chapter number 10. And we'll go through verse number 8. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel in chapter number 9 and verse number 17. All right, here the Word of God records for us. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man of whom... Whom I spake to thee of, the same shall reign over my people. And that's where we concluded our message last week. So now we pick up in verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where's the seer's house? Now, in case you didn't catch that, um, a little awkward moment. <laughs> Samuel is the seer. So he's asking... The seer, could you tell me where the seer lives? You're looking at him. He's right there. And so Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. <laughs> All right. Now that we've got that established. All right, notice, uh, notice the graciousness here and, the, and really I, the amazing help that Samuel is to Saul, God prompting Samuel to be to Saul. Okay, so follow along here. He says, go up before me into the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. Saul couldn't find them, but Samuel knew where they were. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on, the, on all thy father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place. So, I mean, if you get in your mind, this is a, a nice banqueting hall, a banquet area, very prominent, the chiefest place, it says, among them which are, that are bid, were bidden, which were about 30 persons. So this is, this is a good size gathering for their day and time. And Samuel said unto the cook, verse 23, bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was up on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, behold, that which is left, set it before thee and eat for unto this time hath it been kept for thee since I said I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. 
And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went both of I'm sorry, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Did the servant pass on before us? And he passed on. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. He said that to Saul. The man that didn't even recognize Samuel. The man of God, the most well-known man of God since the days of Moses. This is amazing, really, when you take it in as it is. Let's keep reading verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is, not, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And then he prophesies as to what is about to happen. When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at, Ze uh, at Zelza. And they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father have left the care of the asses and sorrow for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Verse 3, then thou shalt go on forward from thence and shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, it'd be three goats, in case you're wondering. <laughs> not giving piggyback rides, all right? So this is three goats. Another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. So they're on a pilgrimage to Bethel. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that, by the way, if all this comes to pass, it's way too much for coincidence. You following along? I mean, this is pretty specific right here. All right. And after that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city, that there, I'm sorry, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets, a band of men, a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them. And they shall prophesy. And most significant of all that we've read even thus far, not that anything is insignificant, but this certainly would, would surpass it all, would be verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt be turned into another man, and let it be when these signs are coming to thee that Thou do as occasion serve thee, watch this, this is amazing, for God is with thee. Anybody surprised by all this? 
One more verse. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. So here's the, uh, hang on, just in case I forget this in the fury of preaching towards the end of the message. Here's the king of Israel um, being told by the prophet of God, um, you need to wait for me because I need to show you what to do. He's the king, which indicates this. The king of Israel's power is limited because God's above him. And the man of God says, listen, here's how the administration is going to work best is if you will recognize you are under God's authority. So you better wait for me to tell you what to do. That's a real good way for a president to be a president. It's a real good way for a king to be a king. It's a real good way for a husband to be a husband. It's a real good way for a dad to be a dad. Well, that might make a message all by itself. Okay, so I, I realize this is a unique text, and I confess to you tonight, having read this previously, having not really got what was going on. Maybe you say, Brother Gaddis, that just happened to me <laughs> right now. I tried to follow along with you, but I didn't get it all. Okay, that's why you're going to be seated here in just a moment, and we'll try to explain a little bit more of it. Here's the title. The struggles, which we all have, the struggles of a stranger to spirituality. The struggles of a stranger to spirituality. Let me add this. Access to spiritual resources is not the same as application. Access to spiritual resources is not the same as application. Now, would you consider that with me here in just a few moments? May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. <clears throat> so as I'm... Uh, studying this passage and thinking about the transition that's going on and what's taking place basically from Samuel to Saul. Samuel having been for many years, 40 plus years or so, having been the faithful man of God, the faithful priest, the faithful prophet, the faithful judge. And so now that transition's taking place from, from one king to another king and and uh, I got to thinking about the transition that took place, you know, from, from presidents, from one president to the next president, going all the way back to President George Washington as the keys basically to the, to the office are handed over to the next president. I grabbed my keys just to symbolize that. Okay, here's a new, new president coming in. And, and so now, now there's a lot of tradition that is associated with that. And there's protocol and there's supposed to be certain things that happen from one president to another. Um, predominantly, we've had a peaceful transitions. Not always. Um, but there to be a, 
peaceful transition. And so, you know, one president would, would meet and, and the first lady would meet with the next, the new first lady and they would sit down and they would talk and then there's briefings and there's uh, top secret briefings and, and um, you know, there's a tour of the White House and, and all those things. I mean, you could, you could look it up. There's, there's a lot of tradition that's built into that. And so there's, there's a lot that, that goes into it. Um, but sometimes the outgoing president and his administration has been known to be rather spiteful towards the next one. Things as small and trivial as removing all the keys from the keyboards so they don't have anything to type. I mean, just little things like that I've heard about and I didn't do a lot of research to see, okay, what ornery things have gone on. But there's been enough to go on, okay? So, but, it, but it's almost as though uh, one outgoing president could have the mindset of one of the two or maybe three. One would be this, I want to help the next president to do a good job, okay? One, another approach would be, I'm pretty neutral. I'm just going to take a mediocre approach to this and just whatever happens, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be, and just more neutral. Or spiteful sabotage, right? Going to try to mess this next president up. Okay, so why mention all that? Well, there's a transition going on from Samuel to Saul. And really it's more of this. Remember what God told Samuel because Samuel was concerned because um, the people wanted a king like all the other nations, which meant that Samuel and his, his sons, because of their lack of spirituality, they were out of the scene. Uh, but the bigger issue was this. Samuel, listen, they haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me. Remember that? So there's a transfer of administration that's going on. But here's what I see from Samuel. And ultimately, here's what I see from God. It's not like Samuel, nor is it, of course, like God, to in any way take a neutral position towards Saul, nor a spiteful, sabotaging, sabotaging position towards Saul. It was, it was not like God in any way was trying to set him up for failure. Even though the people of Israel had rejected God, God had not rejected them. In fact, in uh, chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, four different times it says, my people, my people, my people, my people. In other words, God was still referring to them as my people even though they were not saying, we want you to be my leader. That's the grace and mercy of God right there. Truly is. God knew that Saul would struggle. The word struggle means to um, deal with an inability to perform well, to make it through some conflict, through some difficulty. A baseball player may struggle with his batting average. If you have a heavy load, you might struggle getting it into from the garage or from the car into the house as you're carrying so many multiple bags. Are you following me? It's a struggle. Okay. But we all have struggles in life. And the Lord knew that Saul would struggle. And so God provided what Saul needed to succeed. 
God gave him what he needed to succeed. If Saul is going to fail as the king of Israel, it will not be God's fault. He will fail all by himself. He doesn't need God to help him fail. It's in him to fail. I'm just trying to say God didn't set him up to fail. God set him up to succeed. So let's consider this. Let's consider what God did to prepare Saul for the role as king. And let's consider as to what he did, but also, of course, why, mainly why he did that. And maybe you can kind of relate with Saul because we made the case last week that Saul was big on looks, but low on spirituality or short on spirituality. And maybe you, you, would, you would be honest enough to say tonight, you know, really my spiritual life is not like the top priority in my life. I know it ought to be, but it's not really the top priority in my life. And probably if that's the case, then you've got some struggles going on. And there's some things that either are going on right now or that will go on to expose where your dependence really is. And that was uh, Saul's situation. Saul was the perfect match for Israel because they were big on looks. He was big on looks. They were short on spirituality. He was short on spirituality. And so Saul was really more a reflection of the people than he was a reflection of God. That's what, largely what's going on. Um, he and his family, they were... Even though he's saying we're the least, we're the least, they were really pretty prominent because we had donkeys in that day. That was pretty impressive. Now, you have donkeys today. You don't get maybe too excited about it, but they had donkeys then. And that was like having ATVs, we said last week. It was like, uh, you know, having some nice wheels. I doubt there's any teenage young man that said, yeah, I'd like to ride a donkey to school. That's not, that's not happening. I understand that. But in Saul's day, I mean, that was a big deal. He rode a donkey to high school. Now, I don't know about that. But his family was wealthy. His family was prominent. His family was, you know, well-to-do. He himself was, was tall Saul. I mean, he was, he was the, we said last time, he would, would have been the quarterback in Gibeah. I mean, he would have been the man. I mean, everybody would have said, look, we've, we've got our man. We've got our man right here. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's tall Saul. He's awesome. We love it. We want him to be our king. I, I mean, we want a king like all the other kings. Uh, nations have a king and and their king is mighty in power. We want a king that's mighty in power. Their kings are good looking. We want a good looking king. And that's what God gave them. And really, I don't think we would at all in any ways fault God if he said, all right, you made your bed, lie in it. And there's times God does that, of course. And, and we have consequences that come on us because we make wrong decisions. And, and there are consequences. And there are times that, that God works with a person up to a point and then he, then he allows them basically to get their own way. But I want you to see this tonight. I want you to see that God genuinely went above and beyond, we might say, to let Saul know God wants to help you. God wants to help you. Well, I'm sure glad about that, that God wants to help us. God's not against you. God's not against you. God, hey, maybe you grew up in a home that's not a spiritual family. God's not against you. He wants to help you. 
Uh, Saul didn't have a spiritual family, as best I can tell, as his father's there. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is very clear that Saul didn't even know Samuel. He asked him, and we, we already covered that in the reading. He said, could you tell me where Samuel lives, the seer lives? He says, I am Samuel. And Samuel had been around. It was like he was new to the scene. He'd been the prophet. He'd been the man of God for all these years. And the sad thing about this was this. He lived just five miles from where Saul lived. It wasn't like he lived 50 miles or 100 miles from where Saul was. And like he couldn't ever, he wasn't at a place where he didn't maybe hear about who Samuel was. I mean, all of Israel knew who Samuel was and not a word of Samuel's fell to the ground. In other words, I mean, this was the man of God and it's astounding, I think, to us, but it really is a picture where Saul is that here he was just five miles from one of the greatest resources on planet earth at that time. The man of God with whom God gave his word and he's only five miles from it, but he didn't get it. And so that shows that, that uh, you know, you can have access to, to spiritual resources, but they only help you if you apply them. As far as I can tell, Saul didn't go to the, fest, the festivals. He didn't go to the feast days. He didn't make it to the sacrifices. He didn't go travel and listen to Samuel when he preached in one of those three cities as he made his preaching circuit. And so as far as we can tell, and what the text seems to really highlight for us is this, is that Saul was big time on looks, but he was real low on spirituality and he was just perfect for Israel because that's what they really wanted. Uh, hang on, wait a minute. I, I think that probably Saul understood some things from, from God's word. I, I think Saul probably understood some things about morality. I think he did understand some things about the sacrifices. I'm not saying today that he was totally ignorant uh, of what God's will was for the people of Israel and how to have the sacrifices. I don't think he was totally ignorant of that, although there's some evidence a little bit later on that he's certainly presumptuous and he went ahead and offered up a sacrifice himself. Remember that? And, and so there's some ignorance there and, and maybe not even ignorance, that's just out, downright disobedience. So he's not totally ignorant on these things. And, and yet I think that he has lived predominantly an unspiritual life and thus he's unspiritually fit for such a big role. Such a big job. God's calling on you and God's calling on me. God's calling on us to do a big job right here. To live out our faith in South Oklahoma City or wherever you live. You need to be spiritually fit for that. How many of you would agree tonight? It, it takes some spirituality to be the right kind of a husband or a wife or the right kind of a single student or the right kind of a single, uh, the right kind of a, I almost said single teenager, I guess that would be the case, but uh, it, takes a, it takes some spirituality, doesn't it, young people, to try to live in this world where there's so much coming against you and temptations that are coming against you. Am I right about that? And, and parents, isn't it, it, doesn't it take a great measure of, of spirituality and a walk with God to try to lead a family through this wolf-infested, lion-infested world in which we live and the temptations are bombarding us on every hand? I mean, it takes, it takes some spirituality to do that. It certainly would take some spirituality to be the king of Israel. And yet he didn't know Samuel. And other indications that we've already covered that, that he just didn't evident, he had no evidence. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was against it, but he just didn't give priority to spiritual things. And tonight, listen to me, you may not be against spiritual things, but I want to ask you this, are you giving proper attention to spiritual things? Hang on, did anybody tune out on me? I, I want to make sure before we move on uh, that everybody here is tuned in because it may not be that you're antagonistic towards the Bible 
or towards the things of God, but I wonder, I wonder for your own sake, I, I wonder for the well-being of your life and the well-being of your future, I wonder if while you're not antagonistic against those things, I wonder if you're interested in those things. Because it's only going to help you if you're really interested in it. Because otherwise you can live five miles from Rama and never hear the word of God. You could, you could carry your Bible to church every single service and not really hear the word of God. You, you can just go through a service and you're not, you're not standing up saying, that's not true. You're not doing that. I appreciate that. That sure would be awkward in the service if you did. You may not be antagonistic that way, but I just wonder if you have an appetite for the things of God. I wonder if you have a real walk with God. I wonder, I wonder if you're here just kind of getting through until we get out so that you can check your scores or so that you can go to the next restaurant. I wonder if, this, if there's a measure here of saying, you know, I really need this. I really need this. I really need to hear from God because there's some things in my life going on right now and no doubt some things that are coming up that really I need God in my life. Now, I know you know that intellectually, but it sure is easy for us just to kind of go through the motions and not be pushing against God, but not really seeking after God. There's a difference. There's a difference right there. And, and Saul was not antagonistic towards it. In fact, he would have known some of the things of morality, and yet he was not applying it to the situation. He had a religious tradition. He had religious background. He had, a, he had at least, hang on, wait a minute. He was at least from the tribe of Benjamin, and he had people in his background that would have been spiritual, but just because you have a religious tradition, or you have a religious background, or you have a religious family, that does not mean you are spiritual. You've got to make this personal. Because it may be that, I mean, just think about even in our modern times, there could be a president that, that his religious tradition is pro-life, and yet he could make some of the most pro-abortion choices. That's true. Because you could have that knowledge and even have that influence on you and then go completely against it. You could have, be from a religious tradition, and, 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 and which, by the way, I'm not, I'm not obviously endorsing a particular religious addition, uh, uh, sorry, uh, tradition, but rather this, life does begin at conception. And marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And your religious tradition can even teach you that, and yet over here you could go completely against it and make some of the most, some of the most aggressive or progressive Decisions that affect morality and, and endorse same-sex marriage and transgenderism and be okay with men being in women's sports and men being in women's bathrooms. It's no good. It's no good. And so it's, it's not being any help to, to a president. I guess you're thinking I'm being specific? Yes. I'm just trying to give an illustration here. It's happening in our country. Maybe our president is a reflection of our land. That we can have a religious tradition and have all the religious teachings, and yet just because we have access to them does not mean that we are applying them. And if you don't apply them, it's basically like you don't even have them. So Saul had access to all this. In fact, I'm going to quickly make the case here that he had access to a lot. And then I'm going to try to, with the help of God, apply it to where we are and make basically the case, just in case anybody's ahead of me, I know that you already are, that we have access to a whole lot of spiritual resources. Right. 
But just because you have access to it doesn't mean that you're applying it and it's really doing no good. It's really doing you no good. It'd be just about as much like you're not, you don't even have access to it if you're not doing anything with it. So what went on in this text? Is everybody following so far to this point? I mean, I can start over. I can start over in case somebody like phased out on us. Because I think it's really important for us to get this. So Samuel says, I'm back in chapter 19. Let me just kind of walk through the text. Will you follow along as I do? I want to try to point out just a few things here right quick. He says, I am the seer. So Saul had access to the seer. He had access to the man of God. And it may feel like you don't have access to the man of God, but you do. I, I, I'm, a, I'm available and other staff members are available because that's what our jobs are. Sometimes people say, I don't want to bother you, preacher, because I know you're busy. Yes, I'm busy, but wouldn't you want a pastor that's busy and doing something rather than golfing every day? So he had access to the man of God. I'm saying to you, not just to this pastor, but you have access to godly leaders, I believe, in your Sunday school classes and, and godly Christians. Look around. You may say, I don't know if there's anybody that can help me. Hey, just look around. There's some people here that have walked with God a lot of years. In fact, there's people here that have walked with God a lot longer than I've even been alive. And, and you don't have to have a Bible college degree to have a spiritual walk with God. Amen. And you don't have to be saved. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't have to be saved even, uh, even 50 years to have a spiritual influence. You can be saved just yesterday and still have a walk with God. And if you have a walk with God and you were saved just about a week ago, you have that same access to the God of the person that's been saved for 50 years. So you've got access to some people. Saul had access to Samuel as the seer and, and even brought him up to the high place. I mean, what a privilege. What a privilege that, that Samuel would say, listen, I want to eat a meal with you. I want you to come up with me to the high place. And, and so then he would tell him and he said, listen, don't worry, about, don't worry about your donkeys. They're found. Come on. Hey, you know, even that, I don't, want to, I don't want to move past that too quick. Here's why. Because Samuel is saying this, Saul, listen, I know that you've got a bunch of problems and they seem like so big, but that's really small with God. God can take care of your problems. I'm telling you that, that Saul had access to the problem solver. You tonight, you have access to the problem solver. If you know the Lord is your savior, listen, you got somebody that can help you in your problems. And that's what Saul had access to. He found your donkeys. Maybe you've lost your credit card. You've lost your money. You've lost your mind. I don't know. You've lost your car. You've gone, we've all done that. Where did I park? And you're doing your fob thing, trying to find your car. Maybe when you lose something, even pray about it. I don't, I don't mean to be weird here about it, but there's been several times I've lost something. I said, dear God, you know where it is. Help me find that. Right? And so he had a problem solver. He had, he had access to that. And, and, and so then he says, listen, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And you're, you're to be the first king of Israel. What a privilege. And, and so Saul says, who am I? I mean, my, my family's the Benjamites, which by the way, I mean, we got to recognize this. The Benjamites, just out of the book of Judges, Judges 19, 20, 21, it was the Benjamites who committed an, atrocious, an atrocity, a, a terrible, heinous crime. And that was a wicked people. But just because you come from a family that's wicked doesn't mean that you are to be wicked. So he had hope, he had opportunity to, to change and to get out of that cycle. I'm so glad I'm looking around here tonight and I'm seeing people that didn't allow their family situation, their family history to define how they are. 
Maybe you had a, had a mother that was depressive and on, on drugs and so forth, or maybe you had a family that never was in dark in the door of a church, but that's not a defining who you are tonight. Amen. Praise God for that. Yeah. Saul says, uh, I'm from the family of Benjamin, and, and, but nonetheless, Saul took him. I'm sorry, Samuel took him. If I get these names mixed up, y'all just translate it in your mind. You know what I mean. Samuel took him and he made him sit in the chiefest place and he brought out the, the portion because God had told Samuel in his ear, you're going to have some guests. And so he made a really nice meal. I mean, like a banquet size meal. Roast and taters and carrots. I don't know. Steak. I mean, we would, we would say it this, day, this way. He put before Saul a steak dinner. Ribeye. Good stuff. Not round steak like hamburger. I mean, ribeye. High quality. Fine dining. $40 for the, just the meat. You don't even get sides with it. I mean, that. Good stuff. Bring the portion. I told you to cook this. He said, oh, it's ready. They brought it out, set it before uh, Saul. And, and then they went up on the top of the house and it was flat roof so it was safe. In case you were wondering, they had a conversation up there. He spent the night. He rose up the next morning. They had another conversation there. And then Samuel, out of courtesy, which would be a good host, walked him out to the edge of town and told him to tell his servants to pass on because he had the word of God that he wanted to share with him. Hey, wait a minute. Don't pass that up. He had access to the infallible, inerrant word of God to, to Samuel or to Saul at that time. He says, listen, I want to tell you what God's word is. And tonight, listen, don't forget that you and I both, we have access to the Word of God tonight. The authoritative Word of God. And, and it's right here before us and He's preserved it for us. We've got it. We don't have to say, well, I wonder if we've got the Bible or I wonder if we've got truth. No, listen, friend, what you hold tonight in your King James Bible is God's Word to us. We've got access to this. We've got access. I mean, people shed their blood for, for this. You've got access to it. And so he says, I want to tell you what God's word is. And, and so then, now we're already in chapter number 10, in case you're worried about the time, look at it. Chapter 10 and verse number one, it says, he took a vial of oil and oils, oil was used, poured on the head to anoint the, the priest. And now it would be used to anoint the king. And it was symbolic. When you poured oil there, it means I'm laying my claim on you. And God was claiming Saul. He's saying he's my man. He's going, to be, he's going to be the king. And also it was symbolic of this, empowerment. Everybody hear me? Empowerment. I'm going to empower you, Saul. I'm going to empower you to do this. And it's symbolized by the pouring out of the oil on his head. You say, I don't know if I would enjoy that experience. It's not about enjoying the experience. It's about this. You need to be anointed by God to do what he's called you to do. And so he had the anointing of God upon him. All right, now watch the math that goes on here next, okay? Here it is. He goes from being with Samuel, one man, then to two men, then to three men, then to a band of men. Everybody see that? He goes from one, two, three, however many there were of the prophets. What, what is this symbolizing? This is saying this, Saul, listen, you need to understand this, that when you assume the role of being king of Israel, I know it's going to be more than what you can handle, but I've given you some spiritual people along the way that are going to help you in your life. And it's not just going to be one, but there's going to be two, and there's going to be three, and there's going to be four, and there's going to be five, and there's going to be a multitude of them. And listen, Saul, you've got access 
to some people that'll be a big help to you in your life. The two men would say, hey, your donkeys were found. Problem solved. The three men were on a pilgrimage and, and, and one of them was bringing the goats for the sacrifice. The other was bringing bread and the other was bringing the, the wine or the, the grape juice and, and bringing that. And, and what they were to do was to give two of the pieces of bread to Saul, which would have gone, hang on, wait a minute. This is easy to miss if you don't pay attention to it. This was, would have been going to the priest, but instead of going to the priest, it went to Saul, which was a privilege which was another evidence, God saying to Saul, I may lose my voice tonight trying to get this across, but I think it'll help you if we can get with it. God is saying to Saul, Saul, I'm available to help you. I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you my man. I'm giving you people in your life. I'm sending three. Now I'm sending a whole prophets, a band of prophets that are prophesying and they're praising the Lord. Here is God reaching down to an unspiritual, unspiritually fit man and saying, I'll be enough for you. And if that wasn't enough, God said, Saul, here's what else. I'm sorry, Samuel said to Saul, Saul, here's what else is going to happen. The spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you'll be another man. What power. In fact, it builds that way. Okay, let me do it again. One man, Samuel. Two men, three men, band of men. Spirit of God. All that's going on. And then he summarizes it in verse seven to say, for God is with thee. But make sure you work under his authority because I need to show you what to do. Don't get high mighty in your mind and think you got this. Okay. Let me get a drink. Okay. Um, why did God do all this? Why did God do all this? He wanted to give Saul an opportunity for a brand new start. A man who, we've already made the case, don't need to reiterate it except just to say, has had a track record of not being a spiritual man and thus who would not, if he kept doing it the way he had been doing it, he would not be a spiritual leader. A man who didn't even recognize Samuel. In fact, later on in his life, Samuel, later on in his life, Saul is not going to recognize what a good son Jonathan is. And he's not going to recognize what a good help David is. And he's not going to recognize what a faithful priest Ahimelech is. And he's going to feel like everybody's conspiring against him. And yet God was doing all that to give him a brand new opportunity. Can I say it this way? He had access to unlimited spiritual resource. You say, I don't know if I'd go that far, Billy Gaddis. I mean, to say that he had access to unlimited. Do you know how much unlimited is? I can't even wrap my brain around it. 
But it wasn't just access to men. It was access to God. God was not setting him up for failure. God was setting him up for success spiritually. But access, access is not the same as application. And access to unlimited spiritual resource is forfeited. When you don't have the spiritual walk. To put it into play. Be kind of like this. Somebody said to a young man making his way or young lady making their way, maybe in their mid-teen years, about to, well, kind of like my son Trevor, about to get his permit. Yeah, help us all. I'm about to turn the keys over to him. I still, I do this already out here in the parking lot in case you're scared and you want to leave right after service. After all the cars are gone, then he pulls it over. If your car is still here after 45 minutes, we can't take full responsibility. We gave you a chance. I'm sorry, Trevor. I'm throwing you under the truck. (laughs) He's a good driver so far. But let, let's say a wealthy individual is coming and saying, hey, um, I want to give you access to these keys. I want to give you this truck, uh, brand new. You pick the model, just not a Ford. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't get unspiritual on me. No, for real. Here, here's a man that's wealthy. Here's a man that says, says listen, I, I want to I take, take care of your vehicle. I want to take care of your insurance. I want to take care of your driving school. I want to personally help you. I want to give you driving lessons. I'm going to bring in some well-known NASCAR drivers to help you. Okay, maybe that wouldn't be a good idea, but I'm going to bring in these professional drivers. We're going to get some, some professional truck drivers and professional UPS drivers and others. We're going to have some people that, that give lessons. I mean, we're, we're going to set you up with all this, and, and, and I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to do everything. And yet the young man or the young lady says, nah. I'll just drive my Pinto. Most of you don't know what a pinto is. Man, that was a blast from the past. (laughs) Barely getting by. Right? You get what I'm saying? Access to, to so much and yet walked away from it. Hang on, wait. It's bigger than that. The God of heaven has given you his word. It is an unlimited supply of of whatever you need. Uh, it is the all-sufficient Word of God. All, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the young lady of God or, young, or the lady of God also. It's just a, a general term of saying all the people of God, you've got access to everything you need in the Word of God because it is not just the Word of God, it's the God of the Word. And so you have access to Him through prayer. You have access to Him through the Word. You have access to Him through faithful church attendance. You have access to Him through the Holy 
Holy Spirit of God, hang on just a minute, the Holy Spirit of God that's not just going to come upon you, but the Holy Spirit of God that's going to live in you every single day. The guide is inside to help you navigate every single decision. He will help you live a spiritual life, but just because you have access to it does not mean that it is impacting your life because it, access is not the same as application. Some of you have access to some spiritual people in your life and you're not utilizing them. You're not seeking counsel. You're not seeking God's will for your life. You're not really getting in the Bible every day. I said you're not getting in the Bible every day. It's almost like you don't have access to the Bible and you do, but you're just not applying it. Be a young person here growing up in church. Access to godly parents, access to godly teachers. Just because you have access, you could easily forfeit everything you have available to you if you fail to apply what God's given you. Some of you are in Bible college. You have access to spiritual help in your life. Maybe somebody's paying your way to be here. Church, you mind if I just exhort the students here just a moment? It'll help you too. You've got access to, to, to books and learning and professors and, and opportunities for growth, and you are squandering, squandering your access because you're playing games. Maybe literally on your phone or on your computer, on your device or whatever. And, and, and here's somebody paying your way to be in Bible college and you can't hardly even listen in church. And you're blowing through money, going out to eat at whatever expensive restaurant when you should be going to Taco Bell. You're not being a good steward. Yep. I'm not against more expensive restaurants than Taco Bell, for the record. But here you are going out to eat everywhere and you're not tithing. And you're not giving to missions. And you're not, and you're not giving to moving ahead. There's families here tonight. That applies to you as well. I mean, you're, you're spending, you're blowing through all kinds of money eating out, but you're not tithing. You're not honoring God. And you got access to, you, you know what the Word of God says about tithing, yet you're not doing it. You're not giving like you ought to. not loving your church like you ought to. You're just kind of blowing through services. Hey, I, I'm telling you tonight, and I really wanted to try to hit home here, that, that just because you have access to all these things, it's not going to help your life one iota if you don't utilize it. And there's evidence in the Word of God as we keep going that sadly, even though God genuinely offered all this to Saul, Saul maybe utilized it to some extent at certain times, but largely he lived an unspiritual life even though he had access to incredible spiritual resources. And you could do the same thing. Husbands and wives, your marriage doesn't have to fall apart. You've got access to the wisdom of God of how to work this out. 
you could get in there and see that it says, husbands, love your wives. He just said, love them. And he'll give you the help to love them. And he says to the wife, see that you reverence your husband. It's, it's right there, plain in black and white, sometimes in red and white. Because Jesus said it. You got access to that. But just because you have access to it doesn't mean that you're applying it in your marriage. And you've got young people that are not married. You've got access to what God wants for you and a spouse. But just because you have access to it doesn't mean it's really impacting your life. Because you could be hearing that and just walking away doing whatever you want. Not being a good steward of the resources available to you. How about tonight we ask God to help us to be different than Saul? That as God's given us responsibilities, whether it's home represented by this key, or my vehicles represented by these keys, or these keys represented here by the church, I've only got three, most of the guys have 15. you got responsibility coming your way or you got responsibility right now. And you need the help of God to be the person that God wants you to be wherever you are in life. And like Peter said, God's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have no excuse. Saul did not fail because God set him up for failure. Saul failed because Saul didn't walk spiritually to receive the things that were freely given to him by God. Has everybody got the message tonight? Has everybody got it? Does anybody need something reiterated or cleared up? It's right there for us, isn't it? The real test is going to come with what you do this week and how you apply it. To whom much is given, much is required. Let's not waste the access we have to the throne room of God all the blessings that could come our way. Stand together here tonight. The Lord will help you spiritually if you'll let him. He really will. The Lord will help you spiritually if you'll let him. The Lord will help you spiritually because really he already has through what he did on the cross. The Lord will help you spiritually because He already has in sending the Holy Spirit to help us live a holy Christian life. He's already helped us spiritually by giving us the eternal Word of God, putting in a church family. When you stop and add all this up, there's so much that God has done. If you fail in your spiritual life, it won't be because of God. It'll be because you chose not to apply everything that He gave you. Father, uh, help us tonight to apply this message where you have pointed out to us spiritually to apply it. I'm preaching to responsible people tonight. Dear God, I know I'm preaching to employers and employees and husbands and wives, moms and dads, children, young people, young adults, Bible college students, hardworking people. Go to work every week, dear God, and every day. God, you've not left us as spiritual orphans where we don't have any resources. You've made so much available to us. Help us to access it, I pray. Daily in prayer, daily in the Word. Help us not to neglect the basics. Dear God, please help us, each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing tonight, page 483, God spoke. 
Would you respond as we sing? Go ahead, Brother